What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ken Gunter. And if I sound a little edgy today, it is because not five minutes ago, I spilt green juice all over my laptop. Proof that once again, no good deed goes unpunished. However, we have another great show today. We are joined by Monica Aximit. She's a U.S. Sabre fencer. She represented Team USA at the 2016 Olympic Games, where she earned a bronze medal as a part of the U.S. Women's Sabre team. More recently, at the 2019 Pan American Games, she actually won a gold medal as a part of the U.S. Women's Sabre team. Dating back to college at Penn State, she won two NCAA team championships and was actually the runner-up NCAA champion in 2012 as an individual. So she's had a lot of incredible accomplishments in the space. More recently, she's actually gained recognition as a fitness model and had a notable crowdfunding campaign that went viral. And the purpose of the crowdfunding campaign was to help raise money to support her training for what was supposed to be the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So obviously those have been postponed, but we talk about her experience uh, training and preparation for that event, the crowdfunding campaign, the sport of fencing more broadly, how she got into it, why it is a fantastic opportunity for young athletes. So it was a really, really interesting show about, quite frankly, a sport that I didn't know a whole lot about. So I learned a lot myself. So stick around. It's a great one. And like I say every week, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review. Can't thank the folks enough who've done that already. If you're listening to Apple especially, go ahead and leave a rating. Just just scroll down a little bit further. Hit that five stars. We appreciate it. It's going to help us continue to get the fantastic quality of guests that we've had to date. And it helps new people find out about the show, which is going to be uh, just great for, you know, making the show bigger over time and helping more folks. If you want to follow us on Instagram, be sure to do that at the underscore professional athlete. We're ramping up the amount of content that we have there and soft launch. We now have a YouTube channel. So all the episodes that you've heard to date are going to be uploaded to YouTube, but we are going to double down and start producing new content in addition to making the show's video available there as well. So check it out. That channel is Ken Gunter on YouTube, and uh, I will do more to make you aware of how you can access that in the future. But without further ado, please welcome Monica to the show. <laughs> Thank you for joining the show. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to catching up today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I feel like the place that we always start is kind of uh, what is what does life look like right now for uh, an elite athlete in quarantine? It's very different than yeah. what I've I mean, I haven't I haven't had so much free time since I think I'm like nine years old. I started training then and it's been like nonstop. If anything, I get like two weeks off here or like maybe a month. But even still, like, then it's like seeing family, taking care of doing certain things. Um, and now I don't have that. Like, yeah, can't really do training. Um, there's only so much you can do. And I did it in the beginning. And I mean, it's, I was supposed to be qualifying for the Olympics. I felt really ready. Right. Um, and that all just got taken away from me. So I really haven't been handling it that well. Um, so I tried to do like we were doing like online classes okay. if they weren't done for like three months, um, doing it for three months is really just like banging away on a mask, which is just yeah. one anyway. So, and I knew it wouldn't last two weeks. I knew it'd be a while. Um, so I did it in the beginning, but one I have, I actually have a fractured vertebrae, which not a lot of people know about. I had it. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. It, uh, a pars fracture. I had it before Rio. So that's, Apparently it never goes away. Nobody told me that for like a year that I had it. Um, it feel, feels like an important detail. Right. To yeah. Have with the yeah. Diagnosis. Oh, yeah. My back hurts. Like I wonder why it's the same way. Like when I had my pars and they're like, what do you mean? Same way. Like you still have that. That doesn't go away. Right. Oh, cool. Information yeah. that would have been helpful yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I could have benefited from that one, but um, yeah. 
so like, and then my floors are super slippery in my Brooklyn apartment. Um, that's where I was for like the first month, I guess. Okay. I was also stuck in Europe when all this started. So yeah, I was trying to do some research before speaking and I saw that. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was over there for training camp and then we were supposed to have one of our qualifying tournaments in Belgium. So from Budapest, I went to Poland to visit my grandparents. My, my grandma has breast cancer. Um, uh, okay. Sorry to hear that. And the day I was supposed to be flying to France was the day after Trump announced that he was closing the borders. And that's when everything started escalating everywhere, all over Europe. Right. Um, so then our training camp was canceled. And then luckily my flight was at like 4 PM. Otherwise I already have already been in France and probably mm. stuck there. And then they canceled the world cup. So it's like, okay, well now I got to rebook my flight. Yeah. Bought a flight. I think I bought it for Sunday. should have bought it for, I think I got stuck on a Thursday. Um, I should have bought it for Saturday, but it was too expensive. Then my flight on Sunday got pushed back to Monday. And then Poland, I think Friday night, and like the prime minister announced that they're they're closing the borders. No outgoing flights, no incoming flights. Oh wow. So then I like like was hysterical because like it's I mean I can I'm fine being in Poland. My whole family's or most of my family's there. I have a lot of friends, but it's just kind of like I don't know when I'm gonna be able to come back. And that was a terrifying yeah. aspect of it. Um so then from that point, I think it was like the 13th, 14th, and they pushed my flight to March 29th. <laughs> okay. Oh, jeez. So wait, so how, how does that work, Ashley, getting like you and other like Americans out of the country? Like, because if, if they've cut off all travel, were they just setting up some flights just to like get people back home? Or like, how did, how did that work? No, they weren't. They oh. didn't, like, and I started going through the embassy and they're like, there's nothing we can do. There's no flights. Um, right. So I was just like, I really didn't know what to do, but then, like I said, the situation kept getting worse, and like they then they canceled my twenty ninth the flight from the twenty ninth, and they pushed it back to April eleventh, um, and that's kind of when I got that information. I was like, "This is I need to get out." Um, yeah. So I was gonna get a flight from Berlin, but then they were closing border. Like it was difficult to get on a bus. I also had a cough. I was super sick from February, not with Corona. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was gonna but, say uh, the timing of this year is yeah, like, like six suspect. weeks of a cough. And yeah. I woke up my cough, no other symptoms. Um, yeah. But so like, I was also worried about that, like taking, a, I don't know, like a 15 hour, something like that bus ride across. And then like, well, what if they didn't let me fly out? Then I'd be stuck in Germany. They were yeah. only letting Polish citizens back in and I don't have, I could get Polish citizenship. We never did the papers. So then I'd be stuck uh, okay. in Germany. Uh, yeah. But then Poland was, did a whole thing, a movement where they were bringing their citizens back. So they had flights coming back and they didn't want to be sending empty flights. So then they were letting people fly out. So I got, I, I managed to get like one of the last few seats on one of those flights, which is like, they only flew like 60 people. So I don't know how it was the last seat, but, um, oh, wow. I managed to do that. Okay. And so that was a flight back to the States, that yeah. flight that Poland was orchestrating. Wow. Yeah. I mean, cause when you shut down the borders like that, like, I mean, at any given moment, there's so many Americans abroad and like for any country, right? Like you could say that, like, so that's wild. Well, thankfully you were able to get back. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know we'd be doing this from Poland. So, uh, now, so you're Polish then, right? Or at least it sounds like you have, ah, there we go. Yeah. Perfect. From Poland. I was born in the States. Um, but I was like a year and a half old and I went to live in Poland until kindergarten. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So, okay. That's, that's, uh, really interesting. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how did you initially get into fencing? Because in America, right? Like it's, it's not nearly as common as, you know what I mean? The, the other sports that are readily available. Does it have anything to do with like, uh, your Polish background? Um, kind of actually a little bit. Um, okay. First of all, sorry if I'm, if I'm taking a huge leap here. No, it actually worked out. Um, the sport has grown tremendously since in, in yeah. 22 years, 23 years, I lost count, um, that I've been involved. Um, like back then, it like it wasn't even a ridiculous question. People hmm. ask me if I build fences. They're like, what is fencing? Now I say it. And like now when I get that question, it's kind of like, are we kidding? Like what's right. going on? Right completely normal. Nobody knew anything about it. Yeah. Um, 
So my mom was working at a bank called Polish Slavic Federal Credit Union. I was going to Polish school on Saturday mornings. And this fencing club was in the same building as the Polish school. And my first coach was a client at my mom's bank and basically was like, hey, you should bring your daughter in. Does she do anything? Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, it's a great opportunity to get like into a college or even a scholarship. And us being like, right. my mom's an immigrant. And I was, my parents were already going through a divorce at that point. So it was kind of like my mom being like, okay, well, if this is a way I can get my daughter into a free college, like absolutely. Right. So that was kind of like, I kind of always got yelled at if I didn't have a result. My mom's like, we're doing this for your college. Like you need to get your shit together. Um, yeah, no, no pressure. No pressure at all. And my mom's like super real. So there's no like sugarcoating anything. Like, right. Tell me how it is. So like at like, I don't know, 14 in a competition. I was like, I don't even know what college is. <laughs> Why am I working so hard? <laughs> um, so yeah. So he was like, Hey, bring her in. They brought me in. I was like eight or nine years old. They handed me a weapon. I got to hit kids. I mean, <laughs> great, right? yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's, so were you playing any other sports then growing up or just kind of like based on what we just talked about, did you start to specialize at an earlier age? Um, I like, I don't know how old I was, like maybe six, seven, I was doing gymnastics, but okay. since, I mean, I am six feet tall now and I was always a very tall kid. Yeah. Um, the, like the, the woman was like, I mean, like if she's just doing this for fun, like great, but you know, your daughter doesn't have a future in this sport. Um, which was, I was, I think I was, or from what I remember, I was really sad about it. Um, Wait, so the co the coach said that? The, the gymnastics coach, yeah. Oh, the gymnastics coach. Okay, mm -hmm. right, because you're going to be so tall. Yeah, um, and then like I, in Poland, I would have to stand between two trees and my cousins would kick a soccer ball at me. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of my athletics. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so you've always been focused on fencing then. Pretty much, yeah. In high school, everyone kept telling me to play basketball or run track. Um, so I played a season of basketball, which I hated. We lost every game. Okay. Uh, I think we did more running during basketball than I probably would have done during track and field. Yeah. Um, and horseback riding, but that's about it. Okay. That's interesting. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because like I've I've seen a fencing match and I'm going to be completely honest in that, like other than that, completely ignorant on the sport. And I actually had a lot of fun reading about it um, prior to this. But, you know, one of the things I want to hear from you in your perspective is like kind of what are the attributes or skills that make up a great fencer? Um, see, that's complicated because there isn't one set of like things that you need to be a, like a great fencer, which is like the beauty of it all. Like, right. Mm. In basketball, you basically have to be tall and volleyball. You have to be tall. Gymnastics. Like we said, it's not great if you're tall, you have to be sh on the shorter side. Right. So in fencing, you can be tall, short, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter. It's such mm. a sport um, where while I am taller and I have longer reach, I have more target area. I'm never going to be as fast as somebody that's shorter. I'm never going to be able to change directions as somebody who's shorter. Um, any movement that I make with my arms is going to be a bigger mistake than it would be for somebody shorter than me. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the cool thing of it all. Like you, you have to learn what you're good at and work on that and make that even stronger. And then when you look at your opponent, you have to notice and figure out very quickly where, what are their strengths and weaknesses and use it against them. So mm. very tactical. Yeah. And, and I guess to, to what extent do you get to like prepare for your opponent? Like, I imagine at the collegiate level, you, you, like, you know, who's coming up that week. Um, but do, like, do you actually scout out the individuals that you're going to be going up against to try and get a read on kind of what they do from a technical perspective beforehand? Or is it much more like on the fly, learn as you go within like that match itself? No, no, you can do. I mean, it really depends. Um, in collegiate, it's like you knew people because for the most, like either you're trained, like already competing against them on the national level and they would come into collegiate because I was doing both. Um, so, you know, from that and then, I don't know, like my lessons would kind of be built along like what they're going to be doing. Okay. So like, okay. They're going to be doing this. Like, this is what you have to work on. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to pretend to be them and you're going to get to like fake fence me. Yeah. Um, at World Cups, you have a lot of video. Like if you Google my name, you'll come see a bunch of videos from like international competitions. And that's for most, most competitors. Um, and I mean, like for the most part, you know, like 
you also have an idea. Like each country has their own school of thought. So you, you, you oh, know, interesting. like Italians are going to be, they take lessons. We also have three different weapons. Um, so they kind of take foil lessons as well as saber lessons. So their technique is a little bit different in that sense. Um, they like to do, I mean, whatever, getting technical terms here. No, no, no. Cause I was going to ask you about this too. Like I didn't realize at first that there was actually like, I don't know what the right phrase is, like three different disciplines within fencing, or I guess four technically, right? Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. Saber full epic. Um, and then on the, like to, to finish answering that question on the yeah, general, national level, you kind of, it's a one day competition. So you don't really have the time to like do the research because world cups are two days. So like you finish day one and you know who you're fencing the next day. So you can spend time with your coach or just doing a video analysis in domestic competitions. Um, it's a one day event. So you don't really have all that time to prepare and you find out who you fence like that morning. Like I know who's in my pool, like an, an not even an hour, like five minutes before. Yeah. I have notes written out on people. I like, I'll ask my club mates and be like, Hey, you have you fence this person? What do you like? Do you have any ideas? Right. Watch them as like, because you have five or six people you're going to fence. You have somebody that's first. So that's the person you don't, you know, the least about. And then later on you can kind of watch your opponents competing against other people. So you can get mm. a bit there and then like direct elimination start and you find out, like you kind of see your bracket, you know, more or less who you could be competing against. And again, either notes that I have or I'll ask a teammate um, or it's somebody that I've already fenced against. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's interesting too, that like countries have their own style. And I guess my thought after hearing that is and knowing, I mean, looking back, right? Like you won a bronze medal in 2016, the Olympics, which is incredible. Uh, and then you just won the gold medal 2019 Pan Am games, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that might answer my question right there, but like on the world stage, uh, has the U S traditionally been like one of the top fencing countries or, you know, just kind of going back to what you said earlier, there's been a lot of growth in the sport in the last 20 years. Um, are we just like kind of starting to see success as a country now? Yes. And no, like it also comes okay. in waves, which is very interesting. Oh, okay. Um, I know there's a whole bunch of medals, I think. I don't, I've never really stopped to do the history. I keep saying I will, but I don't That's pretty sure the people I'm thinking of have medals. Um, like, back in the day. And then there was like in women's saber, we've kind of dominated, um, or done well, I guess. And dominate is no longer the term, but, uh, my teammate, my Rio teammate, Marla Zagunas won the, the gold medal, um, for the first time in 2004 when, when it, when women's saber showed up at the yeah. Olympics, 2004, 2008, um, 2012, she didn't, she got fourth, I believe. And then 2016, um, individually, we didn't have any medals, women's saber, but we did have their team medal in bro uh, our bronze medal. Yeah. Um, but it's different for different weapons. So women's epic wasn't doing well and they started doing well the last few years. Um, I think men's foil is like, they're dominating now. Like they really? need medals almost at every single world cup. They're, they're killing it. So yeah. It kind of, like I said, there's different weapons, so there's different things that happen. And then it's, for the most part, it kind of comes in waves. Yeah. Just because, like, people, right, are gunning after the Americans. So then, like, we're the target, and then somebody else becomes a target. We have time to improve and gun after them, so. Yeah. So how, and you said you do saber. How did you settle on that weapon versus the other two? Um, so it kind of happened to me that I walked into the one that I really belong in. Yeah. Um, so my first fencing club actually was all saber. Oh, okay. So I re that really wasn't a choice, but very interesting. People don't understand this until like you see it happen. Everyone belongs in a certain weapon. Like hmm. if you wanted to fence, you couldn't just pick one. I mean, you could, right. There's one that you're good at and you're going to enjoy more than the others. Oh, interesting. Like, like my sister, for example, she was a foil fencer, not for very long. Yeah. Um, she never wanted to do anything that I was doing, but we tried to put her in saber and she struggled and we put her into foil and then she started having results. Hmm. Like it's similar, but different. Cause it's like a different attitude. Like in, so saber is like the sprinters. Okay. The marathon runners. I don't really know what to call foil. Cause they're kind of like in the middle. Okay. Like a hybrid. And is that like, when you say sprinter, is that more like, like really quick, agile, explosive type athletes, like it, it, that weapon caters better to like, I guess what people would think of as like a fast twitch type athlete. Mm -hmm. 
Is it literally like that? Okay. Yeah. Like our, so foil and Epe actually has time. So you have three minutes to score five points. Okay. It's so fast. We don't need that. Sometimes it'll go longer. Like there's no, cause you can go to like a five, four match. Um, mm. Or it could end as quickly as five, zero. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So it's like in favor, you kind of have to have your idea for the most part entering, like when before the referee says fence, you already know more or less what you're going to do. Sure. Things can change and you can go into reactions versus in foil and epe, you have the duration of the entire point to decide what you're going to do. Oh, so like when I was asking, when you come up against maybe a competitor that you don't have any background or notes on, like, could you learn on the fly? It's almost like you kind of have to have a strategy laid out because it just happens so quick. Like there's a lot. I mean, obviously you're going to have confidence. You're not like, you can't go and see everything. Um, So there's different really ways of going about of like, I'm, this is my idea. I'm going wholeheartedly Mm. or I'm going to make the decision as I go along. Like I said, I kind of initially when I really started like having results internationally, um, unlike the national level, you don't really, you at the time you didn't really need to be offensive is also really developed. So like, the fencing I had at like 16, if I went to a competition at 16 here, I think I would get destroyed. Hmm. Um, so that's changed. Um, but like back then, I remember like my first senior World Cup where I made top 16, my initial ideas were I'm going to go forward, I'm going to go back. And I would just alternate that and go from there. Yeah. Um, now it's obviously, like I said, fencing has developed so much that I can't, I, if I did that, I would never have any results. But yeah, it kind of it helps have a general idea of what you're going for because then like if I'm like, okay, I want to go forward and this person's like blasting me off the line, it's like, okay, never mind. And you've got to change versus me yeah. being like, oh, what's going on? Oh my God, I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. So, so how, how do you, I mean, we talked a little bit about like, you know, like literal preparation of your, for your opponent, like mentally, how do you prepare for these like big international matches? And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, in the fencing community, there it, it's there's a lot of like, there's always a world cup and it sounds like it's, it, there's a, a much larger international component that I think other sports that like most Americans played growing up, um, might've, might've ever had to deal with. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're younger, you have just like national competitions, um, and then you have international ones because they count more and hmm. I think they're way more important because you can develop more, right? Like in America, yeah. there's just, on, I don't know, a certain style. And if obviously if you're trying to make it to the Olympics, I don't know, the way this system is like created, we have eight international competitions plus um, Pan American Championships, Pan American Games, which are a little bit different. Okay. Championships or Olympics, depending on the year. Um, meanwhile, domestic competitions on the senior level, we only have four. Okay. Got it. Um, but preparation, I mean, I've just kind of learned that I need to go out like being like, I need to murder everybody. Um, just like confidence. Like I went out. Yeah. I won our competition in January, our domestic competition. And I, there was no beating me that day. It didn't matter who you put out in front of me. I was beating them. Yeah. It felt so good to be out there. Like there was no, I don't know. Like I didn't second guess anything, anything. I did everything I had to do. Like I walked around with such confidence that like, I mean, people told me about that later. Like I kind of entered a state and the same thing, like the competition I qualified for the Olympics. Like there, it didn't matter what was happening around me. I was out essentially to kill. And like, I even had to like someone yeah. do something. There's like this one girl that I'm not a fan of and she like showed her frustration. I remember like, I was laughing about this later. Um, and I was like, I literally like looked and I was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, did you always have just like that killer mentality or is that something that you developed over time? Like, you know, where does that come from? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm generally not like an aggressive person, but it's also, I think it's because I've been fencing. I'm not really aggressive because it's funny or it's been built into me. I don't really know how, which one it is. Um, nature or nurture. Right. Um, because like when I took off after the Olympics to heal my back, I remember like, it was like 12 weeks that I took off. And I remember it was like, my mom was like telling me that's like someone that said something to her. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm totally going to fight him. <laughs> I was like, you, need to stop. like, you keep trying to find different ways to fight people. I'm like, you can't be doing that. Right. I was laughing. And we're like, Monica needs to go back to practice. Like we can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. For everyone's safety. Um, so, you know, like what, what does training look like 
for fencing. So I imagine like the sport is so skill specific. A lot of time is spent actually fencing, um, you know, but like, how are you like preparing your body uh, to kind of like be at like your peak performance state? Um, so it's different for every athlete and different for the weapons. Um, because obviously yeah, right. body keep type. there's always uh, the three weapons are like so distinct. In terms yeah. Of- and there's also, like I said, different body types, right. Um, yeah. so somebody else. So it's about, um, it's not so much about strength as it is speed. Um, mm. so, and also our bodies are disproportional. Like one side of my body is larger than the other. Like my one calf is bigger than the other because the motions are just so different. Oh, interesting. I'm not running. I'm moving forward in like a specific stance. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's a lot of, it's just like maintaining my body. I mean, I'm not like an 18 year old athlete anymore. So I have to, again, things are structured differently where I make sure that like I have problems with my back. So my core can't be too strong. My back has to be strong. Um, my legs have to, I don't know, I'm getting very specific here, but no, um, but like it's, it, that's actually interesting too. Cause like, I feel like I, I can't even tell you how many people have reached out and be like, do I have back problems? Like, can you please have someone on to talk about like what to do? So actually that people might really be interested to hear. Yeah, here we go. Finally, we're getting to the meat here. Uh, yeah. So I mean like how, yeah. How do you train through an injury that like you found out isn't going to heal? Um, so it's just keeping like, as long as I really maintain like my body in the way that it needs to be and I'm not, and I just like listen to my body, which I used to, the reason it happened is because I don't, I don't listen to rest days. Well, uh, I, me a rest day was me being lazy and me not working hard, especially when yeah. I was the Olympics. I was like, or like the time frame of like me, like the last stretch of it, like there, there was no rest days. And yeah. I still struggle with rest days. Um, it's, I think quarantine has taught me a lot about it because everything's been a rest day. For me. <laughs> At this point, like, even an eight mile walk to me is a rest day Yeah, uh, because that's nothing for me. That no, sounds like a nightmare. Too so much. I don't know what I'm going to do afterwards. I think I'm going to work out every single day and probably injure myself again. Yeah. I'm able to do it. But I just kept overworking. I kept lifting. I kept doing this. Like for me, if I was tired, it was like, okay, well, that means I need, just need to suck it up. I need to work harder today versus like being like, oh, it's time to take a day off. So yeah. that's important to listen to your body. There's days that it hurts. Like even at practice, I want to keep going. Um, and I was like, come over to my coach. I'm like, my knee hurts. I'm going home. And he's like, why do you look so sad? I'm like, cause I don't want to go home. I want to keep fencing, but my knee hurts. Like, let's not talk about this more. I need to get out of here. Yeah. Um, like there's times like, I'm like, I, you can see I'm visibly in pain. My, co- my coach is like, go home. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. He's like, I see you limping. Can you please get out of this gym? Right. Um, so I think that's really important, but I'm just like learning about what your body, like there's been physical therapy stuff people gave me and it didn't work. It didn't help me. Mm. And I just ended up finding what works and I've been like this past season for the most part, my back's been pretty good. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I just had, I, I don't know if you know him, but Cal Dietz, he's like the head strength coach for USA hockey and university of Minnesota. Uh, but we talked a lot about how like the old notion of if you're like feeling down that day or you're dragging, like that's the day you need it the most, like work twice as hard. He's like, no, he's like, he's like back off. He's like, you need to like survive in advance, like live to fight another day and come back when you're healthy because like getting injured is what's going to actually set you way back. Yeah. You know? even workouts, the same thing. And it's like I said, for me, it's like all kind of a competition. And I like, if I feel like I'm alone, like I'm tired, it's like, no, I got to push through it. Like stop being whiny, like do it. And I actually, demolished my shin in September. Oh. It was my, my last box jump, my last set of all, like my circuit. Like these circuits are horrible. Yeah. I love them, but I hate them. Who do you, um, who do you train with like, uh, in like non-Olympic years or do you, do you have your own private coach that you work with consistently? Well, and then once you qualify, uh, I guess either really actually. I've had the same fencing coach since I'm 15. Oh, no way. How cool. Yeah. Um, he's one of the best coaches in the country. So yeah, um, okay. good, good company to keep. I still learn so much. Like it, he surprises me all the time. Like we'll do something in a lesson. I'm like, how did you come up with this? Hmm. And he's like, Oh, I just like, I don't know. I was like laying in my bed. I was watching some videos and I came up with it. I'm like, this changes so much. <laughs> oh, like you talked to him like after a match or after like, you're like fencing and practice. And he's like asking these questions. And he's like, that's, like, why was that your logic? And you're like explaining, he's like, why wouldn't this be your logic? And you're like, huh? thanks. Yeah. Just like a genius to the sport. Yeah. So it's, 
if, if I came to a point where I wasn't learning still from him, I think I would question leaving him, but as mm. I never happened and we get along so well. And it's like kind of a relationship where you also have to build trust. I'm not a person that trusts easily. Like in the beginning, I kind of argued a lot more. Um, and like, like someone would say something and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to do what I want. But now it's kind of like, we've learned to really work together because we've been together for so long. Yeah. Um, or like he can even predict my move or like, again, he knows what I'm good at. He knows what we're working on. So yeah, I, at this point I would definitely wouldn't leave him. Um, in terms of strength conditioning coach, I actually have somebody in Poland writing on my programs. Oh, no way. How did you, how did you land on the, the trainer in Poland? Uh, family friends. Oh, cool. Yeah. Right on. So he drafts up all the, uh, the workouts and then you just do them remotely. I guess yeah. you're based out of New York typically when there's not a global pandemic happening, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so, so he's over in Poland. So he writes up the programs for you. Mm-hmm. Um, like what, what sort of like workouts are you doing then for fencing? Cause like you said, it, it's more about speed versus, um, I don't know, you're not, you're not deadlifting, I imagine. Um, I actually was deadlifting before Rio and that's kind of, I can't do that anymore because my back. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, let me think back. I, I haven't lifted since February. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Cause I'm when I started traveling. Um, so like I said, we have, I have one day a week where it's circuits where it's like eight, eight different exercises and I repeat them. I do like each one eight times and then I do, I have a two minute break. Um, hmm. So it's kind of like, I also think strength and conditioning is a lot more developed in Europe than it is here in the States. Um, maybe not for every sport, but for fencing for sure. Or like, just like the amount of studies they do. So like when we kind of talked about yeah. what you prepare, um, he's like, okay, well, like, are you preparing for like, the way that you're competing. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you have like, like pools where it's, you have a group of five or six people, you fence a five touch match with each person. And then you have a break and then you fence another one. Hmm. Like, do you train for that? And I was like, no. And he's like, why not? Right. Like that never came to mind. No one ever talked to me about that. So that's kind yeah. of, we developed, like we did the circuit training where it's like, like I said, the um, set of eight, I have a second, uh, like 10 second break. And then it's another set of eight. So it's kind of like a match, um, okay. a little bit longer, but like still it's, then I have a two minute break and I yeah. do the same thing again and I have a two minute break. So it's kind of like building in that aspect. Um, and then it's like strengthening my, my shoulders, my back, my core, my legs, but it's not, and nothing's about like building big muscle. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's, it's interesting. We've had, um, a couple of like really well-respected strength and conditioning coaches here in the States on. And I mean, almost all the research that everyone references, like to your point is out of Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of it's out of like the former Soviet union. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting to hear. And the other thing that I've heard a lot lately too, is like the great coaches and the athletes who are really getting a lot out of their training are the ones who are like recognizing, like, to what extent is your training actually moving you forward in the specific needs of your sport versus like this more broad notion of like, Oh, I just need to get stronger. I need to get faster. It's like, well, okay, well like how can we specialize that a little bit? Right. So I feel like that's kind of what I'm hearing here. How, uh, how are you handling like not being able to like work out in the way that you're accustomed to during like this (laughs) pandemic? Uh, I'm trying not to, I just try not to think about it. Um, yeah. Because it sucks. Like, I guess I just feel like constantly lazy. I dealt with it a lot worse beforehand. I've gotten a lot better about yeah. it. Like I, when I came back from Europe, I was just eating nonstop. <laughs> like, I, I think I was actually like depressed. Um, just eating nonstop. Now, like. Like, kind sna- of like snacking and just like whenever you were just sitting around bored. Yeah. I would just, I would be constantly in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, but I got, I've like now kind of been like, okay, like I'm not working out as much. I don't need to eat as much. So like mm. I maybe eat two meals a day, um, okay. which like before was like four or five. Um, again, not like giant meals, but that's kind of the way I was eating because I was doing this workout, that workout, walking the dog, something. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've gotten a lot better about that, but I mean, it's difficult. I mean, my entire life I've, I've worked out, um, yeah. in some way or another, it's part of who I am. Like 
like I said, like even during off season when I don't need to be working out, I'll still go run at the park with the dogs. Um, I'll go hiking. Mm. I'll do something, but I can't run on concrete here. They had parks closed. Um, oh yeah, because the back. York, so like here in Jersey, it's a lot better. But um, and then I was running in the parks, but now there's because the winter wasn't aggressive. There's so many ticks, so I can't even run anymore there. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Ticks are the real deal. If you're not in the Northeast and you don't know about tick troubles, it's bad. It's, it's bad, bad, folks. Season. You heard it here first. Wow. So, uh, and then the 2020 Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, where? Cause, okay, so you were just the 2019. You won a gold medal at the Pan Am game. Pan mm-hmm. Am Games. I would have to imagine you were probably in pretty good standing to compete for a spot on the two uh, the 2020 roster. Like, actually, had you guys already gone through qualifying? No. Okay. Nope, we weren't done. We had two two World Cups left. Oh wow! And one domestic competition. So, do you have any visibility into like what's next, or nope. is it just like wait and see? Still, yeah, see, that's so crazy. Nothing. Man, because I mean, for us, like the international committee has to decide when we could start scheduling a World Cup, yeah. um, and then it's a country that's going to take it. Like normally we would start, we'd have our first domestic competition in October or November. And then our first international would be like either November or December. Mm. Um, I'm hearing that they're not planning anything until January. Okay. Which kind of makes sense because each country is going through different phases, right? Like Brazil was yeah. just, um, so they just started. God knows how long that's going to take. We right. what, three months to be out? Mm-hmm. For the most part. So that's probably the same for them. Then they told us we're going to get two, three months uh, of training before we start competing. Yeah. So like, it sounds like that puts us in January. And then the theory or everybody's saying how this is all going to start again in January. I, uh, yeah. I, I don't think we're having an Olympics next year. Really? Okay. Yeah. My, uh, Actually, well, I don't know how big like the Pan Am team is, but my, my buddy Kareem actually is on like the men's three on three basketball team that just won a gold I, medal. I did a podcast with Kareem. Stop it. You know Kareem? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know him personally, but like he somehow found me or somebody, I don't know. I don't remember how he found me. Maybe because it was all my like my fundraising articles, but I, I did a podcast because he has a podcast. I know. Well, I, I didn't know he actually started it. That son of a beat me to the punch. Um, that's awesome. Kareem's the man. He's such a good guy. We went to college together. Um, I've kept in touch with him for a long time, but very cool. I did not realize that. Wow. Crossover. I was working what, for what? Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. He, he t- recently told me that he quit to train full time. Yeah, exactly. And then right. here, here we are. You know, everything conversation over. All right. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> uh, well, cool. So, okay. So, I mean, like, I, I guess I've asked this question four different ways already, so we can quit beating that head, that, that horse to death. Um, now you also do fitness modeling. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, kind of, I was a fitness model with state management. Um, I left them and now I'm doing Ford media with Ford. So kind of like social media model ish. Okay. So like, do you train any differently for that business or does the training that you do for your fencing like i guess what i'm really asking is like do you have to train differently to get like an aesthetic look that you might want uh for the modeling piece or does like the performance training that you're doing for fencing like just you're you're good do you know what i mean i guess Um, i do i do um it's a little bit different i for example for fencing i don't need to have a six-pack um for the whole fitness side Uh, definitely do a lot more cardio so I can stay on the slimmer side. Um, because with fencing your, your legs bulk up because that's what you're using. Um, So I definitely do a lot more cardio than most of the other, other girls. Hmm. Um, and I don't like raise weights to pass a certain level. I just gain muscle very, very easily. Like to maintain a six pack, I really don't need to work hard. Hmm. Um, which is like a blessing, but also a curse. Like I said, like if I, God forbid, I start lifting slightly heavier weights, I'm going to start gaining muscle, which I was like, Oh, well, I won't do that, but that's not true. Yeah. Um, so like, that's kind of a factor in it, but so I just do a little bit more of a little bit different. Okay. Got it. And so w- what does your off season look like? Cause I know you mentioned that before. Um, it really depends on like the year or whatever. So I didn't, 
I've been on the national team since 2016, except last year I didn't make it. I missed it by, um, I was in fifth position, I think. Mm. So I, I ended the season. Our last world cup was sometime in May. So I had June, July and August off, which normally you would have. Oh no, just kidding. I ended up going to Pan Am. So I didn't have that. Mm. Um, so I didn't, we had what to end of July. We were there August, I think. So I started training again, like end of June. That's what it was. So I had like two weeks off. I started training again. I did Pan Am games and I took two weeks off and then I started training again. So that was a little bit different than normally would happen. Um, otherwise you get like after world championships, you have like a month or six weeks ish off. Yeah. That's about it. Got it. It's like the longest season in the world. Yeah. I was going to say like, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of off season there. No, 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 no. That's why like right now, like people are like, oh, I can't wait to start training. And I'm trying to figure out if that's like the best thing to be doing. Cause if we're not competing until January, December, January, I know I can't stay motivated and train like full force right now for all that time. Yeah. It's like at some point you you need to back off. off. We had six weeks off from competing in January, February. And the entire time I was kind of like, should I take a week off? Like, I don't want to be just training full force for six weeks in between world cups. Like that's stupid, but I did it and it just, it didn't feel good, but (laughs) I might just do it. I don't know. I might like when gym, I might wait until gyms open up, start doing like the physical preparations since I haven't been doing anything and then start going to practice like slowly. Maybe it's all me speaking and my coach is going to call me and be like, you're, your butts coming in tomorrow. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been fencing now. I, I was like, you graduated from Penn state in uh, 2012, right? So you've been doing this. Well, I guess, I mean, is it even uh, to, to what extent are there like professional fencing opportunities? Like, are they all still treated as like amateur events or is there like, you know, uh, at any point, like cash prizes for uh, any of these competitions? Like how does that aspect of it kind of work? Uh, I would say it's definitely still amateur. Like I, I can't survive off of just fencing alone, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but we do have, I mean, obviously if you medal at the Olympics, you get a cash prize, uh, yeah. which is a very small amount in comparison to like what you have to give up to train for the Olympics. Right. Um, so it's like 25,000 for gold, 15 for silver, 10,000 for bronze, which like okay. four years, but yeah. <laughs> and it was taxable before also not great. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was a whole mess. Thank God. Thank God for Obama changing that rule. Um, But if we medal at a team event at a World Cup, you get money. You split 5,000 amongst four people. Um, I think a World Championship, it's like 6,000. You split amongst four people. You get some money if you're in the top 16 of the world. The, The amount has changed through the years. I know like when I was in the top 16, like last time, it was a significant amount of money. Now it's significantly less. Hmm. So, I mean, you know, one, you've been, you've been doing it for eight years, like, and obviously there was an Olympic, this was an Olympic year. Um, you know, like how, how long do you want to continue to fence for? Honestly, it really depends. Um, yeah. like I said, the ma- the fact that you can't survive and make money. I mean, I've, I've had to fundraise for this season. I don't even know how I'm going to pay for next season. Um, that hmm. we went through most of that money because it's not, you can't really have a full-time job. Um, right because you're training all the time, you're traveling, you have training camps, all this stuff. And then um, you're paying for those competitions to get there. So if you're not top four in the country, they're not paying for you. So just a lot. So I don't know. I don't know if I, if I sign a sponsor um, after 2021, if it happens, um, I would consider saying, if not, I think I'm done. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like create a career. And like, like I said, like I see my friends buying houses and going on vacations and whatever. And here I am trying to like rub two pennies together in hopes of getting a third. Right. Well, it just seems like for one, how much we like value performance at the Olympics and on like the international stage, like we do ask athletes to give up way too much, Yeah. especially on a four year cycle. Yeah. It's crazy. And like in so, Europe, it's a, it's a lot different. I mean, like ugh, every time I think about it, I get really angry. But Russia, I mean, you get the girls, they got a gold medal. They got a, a million dollar apartment purchased for them in Moscow. And they also got a car. Really? 
I got ten thousand dollars. <laughs> see, that's see, that's the silver lining about Russia. You never hear, right? That's insane. Um, that's insane. So yeah, I mean, so you know, for you, like, what what are your plans? Or I guess you know, what are like, what do you see yourself doing next? Right? Like, you've clearly built up such a successful career within fencing, and I know that you're doing like the fitness modeling, and you have a what seems to be a really successful like social media platform that you've built up for yourself. Like, have you have you thought about what you're doing next, or are you just kind of gonna take it as it comes? Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to plan for it a little bit, but not at the same time. It's really difficult to stop to think about it because I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm so behind, uh, even though I'm successful on my, in this area, like mm. in the of like real life, I'm pretty far behind. Like people have developed their careers. Like they're not an entry level position. Um, and I'm not there. It really depends. Like if I make an Olympic team, a lot changes. I mean, I've gotten so many opportunities based off of having a bronze medal at the Olympics. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to plan because it really just depends on what's, what that route's going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of starting to apply for positions to do because a lot of companies are doing remote for the rest of the year. So if I could land something like that and be able to work and like kind of talk to them and be like, listen, like these days I practice at this time, like I'll work in the morning. I can work in the evening to finish my projects or I'll just work longer on the days that I have off something along those lines. Um, I'm sure I can find a company to do that. Um, and like I said, remote in general is already going to be better because then when I'm traveling, I can still be doing my job. Yeah. So that's the thing I'm trying to do. Um, but also again, take it as it comes. Like, I don't know, I kind of would like to go into acting. I would give that a try. Mm, yeah. People tell me I'm good on camera. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> okay. I'm good. Yeah, just, just take it as a compliment. Don't overthink it. That's what I would say. Um, and there's also never been a female Olympian that's won an Oscar. So, Oh, Hey. It's about, it's about damn time. That's awesome though. Yeah. It just, it's, it is crazy how much you have to sacrifice to be successful at that level. Yeah. Um, The other thing I would say, and probably most people who are listening to this with a day job is they're like, you know what? Like having the security of a day job is not that sweet. Like when I was quitting, People are like, don't quit. Like, you're going to regret this down the line. I'm be sitting at a desk. And I'm like, right. But at the same time, like, I don't know how I'm going to pay bills next month. So, like, having that stress for so many years and then not having that stress, I feel mm. like lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And uh, we had Adam Nelson on the show who I think he made he made three different Olympics. He won a gold in 2008. Yeah, he won a silver in 2004. But yeah, he was at that like kind of point, I think it was like 2010 or 11, he was saying, and he was still like top in the world and he was about to back out and people were just like, what are you doing? Like, you're still the top of your game. Like he's like, look, man, like if I don't, if I lose my sponsors, like I have nothing. I have a wife, I have kids now. Like it's, it's a real decision. Yeah. It's a, it's like a shame that there's not a better system set up to support that. And I mean like the U S Olympic committee pays me $300 a month. Hmm. Now, does that get taxed? Because I know everyone wants to know. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the crowdfunding piece, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did that go? Uh, amazingly. New York Post picked it up. And oh, it cool. blew up all yeah. over. Um, Fox News picked it up. Um, Business Insider, Maxim did a feature, Barstool Sports did a feature, um, some other ones, I don't even remember. So I went, I, I wanted 21,000 and I ended up over maybe even 31,000 at this point. People still, I took it down that length, or like it's no longer on my social media. Right. I turned it off. Um, I keep saying I'm going to do it. I keep forgetting to do it. So somehow people are still finding it. Huh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it feels like, uh, you know, I love watching like the world's strongest man. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily in your realm of interests, but those guys have, have often like struggled with the same thing. Like there's just not a real great way to monetize that sport. And like what they're doing is just like doubling down on YouTube, doubling down on Instagram and like finding ways to like build their personal brand. So it's cool to hear that. It sounds like you've done that for yourself as well. Um, 
You know what I mean? And I imagine there will probably be a lot of opportunities that will come out of that eventually whenever you're ready to jump at them. We'll see. I hope so. My fingers are crossed. That's kind of how I keep everyone's like, well, what are you doing after everybody's favorite question? Like, what are you doing afterwards? Yeah. Sorry. Wants to ask that question. Yeah. 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 Um, well, cool. So what was I going to ask you next? I had one last question, but that's okay. So, I mean, outside of fencing, like, like, what are you interested in right now? Like, how, how are you, how are you like, staying uh keeping your sanity during these I, times I lost my sanity but okay, fair enough hanging on to the last thread um i got into plants oh it's also gonna be my new business you can make a fortune on plants apparently yeah a little horticulture it's kind of wild people there's one plant that's being sold for three hundred dollars so tell you to you tell the u.s olympic committee Right. Like I'm, what is, everyone's laughing. I'm like, you want, like, I'm going to be going to competition and be like, Hey, do you want plants? I have like, <laughs> really rare one. um, but I mean, it's gotta, something like it's a, it's a nice way to decorate. So like, I don't know. I've been doing that, like decorating my apartment. We put shelves in, like, I pretty much like have a new idea for my roommates. I'm like, let's do this. I was like, has nothing better to do. They're like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah. So that's what we've done. Um, decorating the apartment, which I never, ever thought of before, before it was just like, a place I slept. I woke up in the morning, ate breakfast, left, came home, and I went to sleep. So I didn't even know what it looked like, to be honest. Um, and I started painting. Oh, and very nice. Yeah. Right on. Okay. So, you know, I think the question that everyone wants to know is has probably been thinking, um, who is the better podcast host, me or Kareem? <laughs> I can't answer that question. We'll edit in. We'll edit in me. All right. Awesome. Well, we'll take it. Cream's a good guy. <laughs> Cream's a decent guy. Uh, well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. And I think, uh, you know, fencing is something that I think to a lot of people, like, you know, they're aware of it, but like, they're not, I think, aware of like the demands of the sport, the intricacies, like within the sport itself. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to learn about. Um, you know, are you, are you doing anything actually like within the U S to help grow the sport? Like is, is, is fencing regionalized in any way? Like, and I'll, I'll tell you why I asked growing up North of Seattle, like I didn't know what lacrosse was until I was like a senior in high school. Do you know what I mean? Because it was, that sport is just so regionalized. Is fencing the same? Uh, kind of, but I mean, I think it's because of the way people migrated, like it's definitely far more developed on the Northeast, Northeast coast area. Uh, again, when people coming for overseas, like that's the direction they go in. Mm. Um, so I feel like that's common for a lot of things. Um, but I mean, you can like, there's clubs in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So like in Shrevesport, Louisiana, I think that's what it is. That's where that's oh. like, there's a club. Those fence and Cajuns. I don't, I don't know, you know, like they're, they're kind of everywhere at this point, but definitely the most, for the, for the most part is on the Northeast. The Northeast. Yeah. But they're everywhere. Like Portland is, that's where Mario Zagunas is from. And she's my, my Rio teammate. Um, there's a bunch of clubs in California. Got they're, it. they're, they're pretty much, they aren't everywhere yet, but it's, it's a lot more accessible than it used to be. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, and, and for people who want to follow you, uh, where's the best place to do that? Um, Instagram or okay. now TikTok. Now that's a new thing. So oh, you, TikTok. My new dancing videos. They're on TikTok. All right. Perfect. Well, awesome. We'll make sure to point people there. And uh, like I said, thank you again. And uh, we'll certainly be pulling for you. Hopefully in 2021. If not, you're going to have to ride it out a little bit longer. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I keep going after that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> Hello, wife. Hey, Kenny. Hi. Hi. We, more you, are sleep deprived yet again. Yeah. Well, you let me sleep in this morning. Mm. So I'm a little, wow. a little refreshed. Husband of the year, perhaps. The day after Father's Day, no less. No less. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a little step backwards, but that's okay. We're gonna get him back on track tonight. Mm-hmm. 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 So, interesting show. 
Very interesting. You didn't know I had so much uh, fencing knowledge, did you? Do you though? (laughs) (laughs) Was it that obvious? Uh, No, I know a little bit. Yeah, I know a little bit. But in researching it, it was I was I was surprised uh, because like, and I guess we just run right into it. Like one of my first takeaways is uh, you're gonna love this tagline: Mm. (laughs) "The riches are in the niches," as they say. But, you know, like it's such a unique sport and one that, uh, you know, like she even said in the show, historically, people are like, what is fencing? You know, Mm -hmm. and now I think people more broadly are aware of it, but not a lot of people participate in it. But, you know, like for her, her mom said, like, look, this is your ticket to a college scholarship. Like you got to buckle down because like this is this is how you're getting there. And it worked. And I actually, I mean, you know, in college, I I knew some fencers and same thing. It's like, it's a sport that I think a lot of people don't take into consideration, but you know, if you're good at it, like it can really take you places. Yeah. I feel like that's how people thought about golf when we were younger. Yeah, maybe. And you know how I just remember people being like, oh, like you should get your kids into golf because that's like a lot of scholarships. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. You're right. And not a lot of kids like necessarily have the patience yeah, or I guess maybe even the opportunity to like really compete at golf in that level. So you can already yeah. kind of like dwindle down the pool of people you're competing against. Yeah. Yeah. Fencing is very much that, but I mean like look, look at the opportunities it's created for her. Like, okay. College scholarship, D1 school, mm-hmm. a, uh, career. a career has gotten to go to the Olympics has gotten to go to the Pan Am games. It's like really cool. There's a lot of stuff out there like that. You know, that like if you have a kid um, and maybe they don't really like love one of the big three traditional sports, you know, especially for a boy, football, basketball, baseball, like there's a lot of Mm -hmm. other really cool opportunities out there that I think you need to take into consideration. What are the big three for girls? Oh, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give you my guess. Basketball is definitely in there. Softball. I would say, oh, you would say softball. Okay. Right. I was on the fence, but yeah, I think softball. I think traditionally softball. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say soccer. I was going to say that too. Okay. So our big three, soccer, basketball, softball. And none of which I really want our daughter to play. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I was going to, here's what I was on the fence about was volleyball. Yeah. I would like her to play volleyball. Volleyball is just awesome. It's so fun. And it's another one of those sports that it's like, you can play it forever, wherever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. become infinitely more popular to barbecue. Yeah. I mean, beach volleyball, pro beach volleyball. There's some, there's some real cashish to be made out there. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> that give you the, uh, the same <laughs> responses when I say, uh, Hey, we got to go work on the pod. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say that people. I'm not quite that douchey yet. <laughs> give us time. But yeah, so the riches are in the niches. Uh, now you had one that you told me before, and I, I thought it was a great one. Do you want to t- say what yeah, one of your takeaways? Yeah, I was just blown away by, I mean, I guess, I, yeah, I don't, I didn't think I, I don't think I knew this, that Olympians in, I guess, not every sport, but fencing at least get paid so little. Yeah. And meddling in, yeah, meddling in the Olympics is such a source of pride for our country. Right. You would think that we would take care of the people that are sacrificing four years of their lives and more. Isn't that crazy? To represent us. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and, uh, you know, she said how much like the U.S. pays out to its athletes if they win like a gold medal. And it's not that much. And I think. Yeah, it, it's like 25000 for four years. It's insane. Yeah. And I think. in That's p- for gold. For gold. And in part, you know, the U.S., we have a lot of medalists compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. For some of these smaller countries, I remember there was a swimmer, I think he was actually American, but he had dual citizenship and it was a, a smaller country, I think in Asia. And he won a gold medal in swimming and he got a million dollars. Really? That, because I mean, gold medals are wow. just are so far and few between for some of these smaller countries. It's like- Oh my gosh. What if our kids are really good at sports and they have dual citizenship with Ireland? Oh, okay. <laughs> and because Ireland doesn't have a lot of Olympians, do they? Maybe. I don't know. Let's double down on this, see how it works out for them. Yeah. As their career strategy. Okay. We'll get Harper into fencing. There we go. Uh, so yeah, that, that was crazy to me. And we heard that too, right? Like I mentioned with Adam Nelson. 
mm-hmm. someone who had a, yeah, an incredible yeah. amount of success and even at the top of his game had to say like oh, at some point true. the dollars and cents know. just don't add up it's crazy because you need that sponsorship to carry you through those other four years yeah and what about the russians getting a million dollar apartment boy how about that gig it's cool well it's i mean it's a source of pride plus, the US, cash-ish. plus all the cashish i bet they even get their own pod Unlimited, uh, un- unlimited rezos at all their favorite restaurants. Oh my god, I eat this. <laughs> we just lost so many followers. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, for you know, Russians and formerly the Soviet Union, you know, like Americans are pretty crazy about sport. But like there, I mean, it is. I don't want to go as far as say life or death, but like damn near close. And like yeah. they put their athletes at a young age in a rigid system with the entire intent being like to prepare them for like becoming a gold medalist. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, such a source of pride and so important over there. It, it makes sense to hear that like they reward their athletes monetarily, maybe a bit more than we do. Yeah. But yeah, so that, I mean, I don't know they got to figure out a better way to support these athletes because we're asking so much and it is something that when the Olympics come around or the world cup comes around for soccer. Yeah. I mean, Everyone watches. Yeah. You know, and it is such a source of pride. And if we don't make it or if we don't win or if we come up short, like everyone is really let down and disappointed. Yeah. So high expectations. We need to we need to find a way to monetize it a bit better for some of these athletes. But I do think that's why like YouTube, Instagram, it's going to create a lot of opportunities for some of these athletes to, mm-hmm. to find a way to like monetize their brand a bit more. Yep. which I think we'll continue to see more and more of. Yep. Okay. This is something that I thought was interesting. And uh, I should give credit where credit's due because you actually coined the term for it. So uh, I'm just going to be the one speaking to it. But when she goes into these matches, she can prepare really intensely for her game plan. But kind of given like the round robin nature of these competitions like she really doesn't have an opportunity to prepare for the people she's competing against. Mm-hmm. That to me felt very different than yeah. other sports. Yeah, made it way more difficult. Yeah. And you said something else that you thought was interesting about the country piece. Yes, like different countries have their own style. So mm-hmm. not only is she not sure who she's competing against, she's competing in against styles that are very different from her own. Yeah. She said she has like note cards with, as much information as she can gather on right. her opponents, but, and then she'll ask her teammates or clubmates, she called yeah, them. Yeah, clubmates, yeah. But like, that's really the extent of it. Well, and it's so crazy too, because it's such a quick, reactive sport. Mm-hmm. So it's not only like, okay, so like basketball, right? If a team comes out with a different strategy than you were prepared for, I mean, sometimes it takes teams an entire first half to figure it out. Like yeah. you have halftime, you go in, the coach is like, hey, look, we got to adjust. And then you come out the second half and maybe, you know, you respond better. Fencing, I mean, it's a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bam, bam, bam. I think she said it. I mean, the each match is over in a matter of minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's like if you came in there with an incorrect perception of what this person was going to bring to the table, like there is no time. And that, that then made sense what she said, like, you kind of have to go in there with your own strategy mm-hmm. and just commit to it because if you, there, there's really no opportunity to, you know, adjust what you were going to do. Yeah. So that's a pretty crazy sport. Yeah. I was going to ask, I meant to watch a video yeah. beforehand, but how do you win at fencing? You have to stab them in the heart. <laughs> yeah. You stab them in the heart. Do you really? Uh, yes. <laughs> Much like the Mayans and Aztecs, uh, it's winner takes all. <laughs> and then we sacrifice the loser to the sun god. <laughs> but great honor is brought to their family. So silver lining. Uh, it's a point system. Okay. So so it's like whoever gets the other person. Yeah. But, the other person with them. Yeah. But I think uh, a heart stabbing would also end the competition. Really? So, <laughs> you know. Well, it's a, it's a, there's like a ball then the <laughs> blade, right? So. Uh, that's a good question. Isn't there? Probably. Yeah. I think there's a ball at the end. But Wait. that's only from my knowledge from the movies growing up that had fencing in them. So here's Can't something drop. I want to know from you. 
How many times in your own mind did you think about the Count of Monte Cristo while listening to this? Because <sighs> knowing you, how many times have you made me watch that? Four? Yeah, at least. Did and it, I've watched it countless more times. <laughs> well, of course. Of course. That was one of my favorite books growing up. Oh, you read the book? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I knew that. I don't think I knew that. <laughs> you find out something new every day. Keep the marriage sure fresh. Do. <laughs> new and exciting. <laughs> Uh, well, that was a good one. Good perspective that I think a lot of people probably don't have and introduction to a sport that a lot of people I think just don't know a lot about. Yeah. Very cool sport though. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, we've got a, another really good show. We are going back to kind of our roots, so to speak. We're going to be talking to a really prominent, uh, strength and conditioning coach who works with athletes across, you know, all sports and spoiler uh, he was just helping prepare the number one NFL draft pick for the combine this last year. So what? yeah, girl, <laughs> big time shows blowing up, baby. <laughs> Chad Wesley Smith is going to join the show from juggernaut training systems. It was awesome. It's juggernaut. Cool. Is that not the best name? Yeah, that's awesome. Had he not taken it, I would have stolen it for this show. Juggernaut show. The juggernaut show. <laughs> Bunch of like Marvel comic fans are tuning in and they're like, why are we talking about bench pressing? <laughs> Be like, well, it's not that juggernaut show, bitch. Um, all right. So we got a good show next week. Please tune in. And hey, if you're still listening and you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. Go ahead and subscribe. And teaser, not next week, but the week after, we are really going to double down on our YouTube content. So mm-hmm. the entire show from front to back is going to have video accompanying. So get ready for that. Sonia. Yeah. Should we say goodbye? Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.